0: Um, we, are in, we are starting our Advent series um, now, we're um, calling it Seeing the Savior Sent to Save the World, and it kind of flows out of our Sent series that we're in in the Gospel of John uh, this fall, and we'll get back into after the Christmas season is over, but every week we're going to focus on different words that, that are centered around two things, one, Jesus Christ and, and who He is and how He's a picture of peace, love, hope, and joy, but also then how He sends us out um, to be that to a world that needs to see it and um, and it is what we commonly call the Advent season. And Advent just means preparation of someone coming. And so um, it is just a way for us to prepare our hearts. And there are two Advents of Christ talked about in Scripture. One is the one we celebrate at Christmas time, his first Advent. And it accomplished something very different than his second Advent is going to accomplish. His first Advent, his first coming, accomplished the reconciliation of us to God. And that was needed. Only by his coming could we be reconciled to God, and we're going to see that today. His second advent will accomplish the restoration of all things. And so like in Genesis 1 when he created everything perfectly, Christ's second advent will, be, um, will, will, will restore everything back to that place that it was before the fall. Why we take so much time to do this and we spend the whole month sort of celebrating advent is because... It, So much in our society tries to distract us, especially this time of year. You know, you you could see even from um, your bulletin and how when you opened it up, it probably blew up in your face because of all the different inserts in it, right? There's a lot of stuff going on, right? There's a lot of good stuff even going on. But but I just, I I guess I want to, before we jump into the message, I want to implore you, set your priorities now. Like, if you have not already as a family, make the time today, today after, after church, make the time to sit down at the table as a family and go through the next month's calendar and plan out the things that are consistent with your priorities. As believers in Jesus, we believe that God is our first priority, our family would be the second priority, his bride would be the third, and all the rest of the stuff, our school, our work, and everything else would be fourth right? And, and so plan, does your daily planner fit that? Are you, are you scheduling out those things so that life doesn't just happen and we don't fill it up with stuff that doesn't matter? We have, that's part of all that information that's in your bulletin. There's just, we're, we're so, we're passionate about giving you resources to prioritize those things, whether it be the stuff that's in your bulletin or we have this um, to go along with the, the memory or the, or the, um, the tradition that the Johnsons just shared. We have a little booklet called Cornerstone Moments. It's just full of activities like that, that you can sit down as a family and pick and choose things. They're, they're on the information table. If you didn't get one when you, when you come in, grab one. But all of it is to one point, and that is to prepare our hearts and our minds for his second coming, really. You know, we, I, I was struck as I read this Um, As I read this week through the daily readings and things, I was thinking, you know, we can read the Christmas story and and how everybody in Bethlehem was too busy and too distracted and they missed the greatest event in the history of the world at that time. And we can look at that and go, man, how is that possible? And yet I wonder, are we any different today? Like even as believers, are we very different than they are? I mean, they were God's people and they missed God coming. And I think, man, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I don't want to miss even celebrating his first Advent because I'm so busy just get, being consumed in the, in the things of um, life. And so today, we're going to be talking about um, seeing Jesus Christ, the Savior sent to, the wo- the, the sent to save the world, as the light of peace. And I'm, and I'm going to pray, before we open up the Word, that today would be a Sunday of peace. And that this season would be a season of peace. So let me pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, I just thank you for this morning already. I thank you for whether it be in the fellowship and the smiles and talking together or in the music and the words um, sung or the prayers already offered. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would um, remind us of, of what a wonderful time this is. Lord, as has already been prayed, I, I, I do pray that in the next few moments, my own heart, the hearts of those who hear, would not be distracted. Lord, that we would have a singular devotion to you Lord, I pray for the mouth of this speaker right now. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that's going to come out of my mouth that is not of you, that you would close it. I pray for the ears of the hearer, that you would supernaturally open ears, deaf ears, that you would open eyes, blind eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth now, and that you would grant us your perfect peace in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. So here's the question for today. What is the peace of God, and how do you get there? What is the peace of God, and how do you get there? I took a, um, a, um, a definition that had been given to me, and I tweaked it a little bit, and here's how I am defining the peace of God. The tranquil state of the soul, fully assured of its eternal salvation in Christ, and completely content in all God has planned for it. The peace of God is the tranquil state of the soul, fully assured of its eternal salvation in Christ and completely content in all God has planned for it. There is a vertical component to God, to the peace of God, between us and God. Right? That, that ultimately Jesus came not that we would have comfortable lives, but that we would have peace with God because we were enemies of God prior to knowing Jesus Christ. There's also a horizontal part of the peace of God. It it, it affects everything from how we see our circumstances to how we interact with each other. And we're going to talk about both of those things today as we look at this Savior who is sent as the light of peace. One of the questions I would ask you is what keeps you, right now in this moment just ask yourself, and we'll finish here at the end, what keeps you from the peace of God? What keeps you from the peace of God? To set the stage for, um, for, for, the, for this message, I want to show you Jesus as that reconciling peace of God. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Not to Philippians. We're going to get there in a minute. That's the passage we're actually going to work through. But I want to start in Romans. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So if you're in your New Testament, flip to the, um, go past the Gospels, past Acts. You're going to get to a big book, Romans, and Romans 5. And I'm going to start in verse 1. And I want to show you that Jesus is the peacemaker. And that the gospel is the greatest peacekeeping message the world has ever heard. So before we jump into what it looks like for us, like, experientially in our lives, horizontally, we need to focus on, but the only way we can have that that experiential, horizontal peace is if we have been given peace with God vertically. And that's what Romans 5 talks about. So in Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained an introduction by the faith into the grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, so, not, so, so, so he's saying, because of the gospel, we have now been reconciled through Christ, through the blood of Christ, we have peace with God. We deserved his wrath, all of us were judged, God is not a judgmental God, we are all self-condemned. God is the one who sent his son to remove the judgment from those of us who have that applied to our lives. And that's what Paul's talking about, and then he says here, but not only this, when we have this vertical peace... We also exalt in our tribulations knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. But hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die but God demonstrated his own love for us, then when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That ultimately, the horizontal peace we have, even on this planet right now, is only because of the first part of that passage, and that is that we are reconciled to God through Christ. Paul puts it this way in Colossians. Colossians 1.20, through him he reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah describes the coming Messiah as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. He is a peace bringer. But as we've talked about in the sent series in John, the, the, sort of the theme for that series is John 20, 21, where it says, he, Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I send you. So not only is there, he's saying, I came to bring peace, I am sending you to be peacemakers. And, and one of his greatest sermons, his first big public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, how does he describe peacemakers? In, in the Beatitudes, the blessed. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And that word sons there actually means di- like a disciple of. One of my favorite Greek um, scholars, his name is Spiro Zodiades. So with a name like that, you have to know Greek, right? Spiro Zodiades. He says the word sons in in Matthew 5 should be translated this way. One who is a disciple or follower of someone with the implication of being like the one he follows. Now think about that. Because think about the and I'm not an English person, but think about the, what's, it's the, the noun, the, the, the object of that sentence. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the word sons there means we shall be like that object. The object there is God. We shall be like God when we are peacemakers. Guys, the world, we know this, the world is in desperate need of people of peace. Right, so we have several police officers here in our midst, and, um, and I know they can tell you um, the world is in desperate need of people of peace. There is so much anger and angst and just even arguing and bickering, even within the church. I pray that this would be a season of peace for us. So that brings us back to today's question. What is the peace of God, and how do we get there? So open up to our passage, our daily reading today, Philippians chapter 4. So we're going to go to the right of where I left you in Romans, and we're going to go past the, the big letters of First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And we're going to pick it up in Philippians 4. And the the, the letter because we're going to jump into Philippians. Actually, I'm going to start in verse or in chapter three in a minute because the letter I want to we're jumping right into the middle of it. And in when you're teaching the word of God, you want to you want to give context because context is king. It explains what we're going to read. And so when he says when we're going to read starting in chapter four, we need to know where he's coming from. Philippians was a letter that Paul wrote. The apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and he was writing. It was very they were very in to their citizenship as Romans. So he's going to write to them in this context, in this flavor of, we are citizens, but citizens of someplace else. And in, don't, don't turn there, but in Philippians 1:27 it says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you and see you or remain absent, I will hear of what you have that of. I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel. He's saying that, that word conduct yourselves means live like a citizen. He's saying live like a citizen of the gospel is actually what that phrase means. Now in, in chapter three, if you look at chapter three, verse 20, right before our daily reading, verses um, to, to kind of run up to, to chapter four, verse one. So in verse three, chapter three, verse 20, it says, for our citizenship is in heaven. He's reminding them, you're not Romans, you're Christians, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of a humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He's saying, guys, remember who you are. Remember who you are, and and this is what a citizen of heaven looks like. So the question becomes for us today, as we're talking about peace and, and and, and the season that we're in and everything else, how does our citizenship as Christians practically impact our living here today? We're going to, that's what our passage is going to speak about. And I see three things here that talk about that, that talk about how our citizenship affects our outlook. We're going to look at the practice of peace, the precursor to peace, and we're going to look at the promise is peace. So let's look at the first part, Philippians 4, verse 1, the practice of peace. And we're just going to quickly touch on all of these. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I love Paul's, I mean, Paul had the shepherd's heart. He loved his people. Look at how he describes them. I long to see you. You are my joy and my crown. And then he says, in this way, stand firm. In what way? In what way? Well, he's going to tell us what he's saying. So in this way, act like Christians. In what way? And then he's going to outline three of these areas. The first one is the practice of peace. He says, I urge Aodia... And I urge Suntike to live in harmony in the Lord. That word harmony there means to understand, to be wise, to be modest, to be humble. He's telling these two ladies in the church, guys, just love each other. I, I, I urge you to tell these two ladies, just love each other. Just be understanding towards each other. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Guys, this is not a church discipline issue. He's not calling out these ladies. He is in a pastor's heart, gently saying, hey, these these people have been a huge blessing to me. Help them remember who they are in Christ. He is trying to remind the church at Philippi that unity is what matters. Because, guys, where there is disunity in the body of Christ, the enemy is at work. So, so we, as and the enemy is so good at creating disunity. When we are engaged in negative conversations about each other, whether they be people that are here or people who have left or people from other churches, when we are engaged in negative, that is, we have to recognize that that is the enemy at work. And, I, and he is laughing at us because we are not practicing the peace that Paul tells us to practice. Right? In, in, in Matthew chapter 5, also in the, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, I, Jesus says, in Matthew 5, 23, he says, when you come to the altar to offer your sacrifice and you re- remember that, that you have something against a brother or a brother has something against you, do you remember what he says? Don't present your sacrifice. Go reconcile. Go make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then come back and offer your sacrifice. Coming to church every Sunday, I mean, in our vernacular it would be, coming to church every Sunday and bad-mouthing your Christian brothers and sisters, it, it, is, it is, there is no blessing in that from the Lord. There's nothing. He's saying, I, I do not see your sacrifice. I, I long for the day that we humbly risk having hard conversations with each other instead of grumbling and complaining as Christians about each other behind each other's backs. Which which I admit, I've been guilty of as well. So the first thing is he's saying practice peace, to experience God's peace. The second thing is, what is the precursor to peace? The precursor just means something that must come before something else. So Paul's going to tell us, here's the first, this needs to happen before you can get to the peace of God. So one, practice unity. The second thing, here's some things you need to do. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There are three commands in those three verses. In the, in the original languages, there are three what are called imperatives. It's like a, it's like a drill sergeant barking an order to, the, to his subordinates. They are not suggestions, they are commands. There are three there. One is, be jo- in verse 4, it's be joyful. Five is be gentle. Six is be faithful. And we're going to quickly look at that. The first one, be joyful, in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says rejoice and they'll be saying be joyful if you want the peace of god you have to be joyful it's the passage i read in romans he says not only are we reconciled to god then he said in verse three not only this romans 5 3 but we even see our tribulation as something as a blessing because it is producing perseverance and perseverance proven character and character hope and he goes on or you look at james and he says consider it all joy my brothers and we're like, yeah that, doesn't, yeah, that doesn't sound like much fun. What are we talking about here? Or the passage we looked at a few weeks ago for Thanksgiving, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You're like, but, but Paul, that's, all, that's really, can you tell me how? Yeah, sure. Jump down to verse 11. So we, this was not part of the daily reading, but look at what he says. In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also to know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now wait for it. He just said, I have learned the secret of joy in everything. We should all be like anxiously waiting to hear, okay, what is it, Paul? Fortunately, he tells us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me right that is where our joy comes from that is where it's found the first thing we have to do is be joyful to find peace the first thing is we have to be joyful the second thing is we have to be gentle he says in verse 5 let your gentle spirit be known it means to be gracious to be forbearing when he says gentle he means be gracious One of the other beatitudes, besides blessed is the peacemaker, is right before that. He says, "Blessed are the gentle." It's often it's often translated meek. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. One of my favorite ways that Jesus uses this idea of being gentle. We like this. He says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden." Matthew 11, I think. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me." Do you remember how he describes himself? for I am gentle and humble in spirit. But then this is the part I love, and I used to miss this all the time. And you will find rest for your souls. Guys, do you get that? What are you saying there? He's saying, "Come, come, come walk with me. Come walk like I walk. I am gentle and I am humble. And it is in those places, Doug, you will find your soul rest. I need that especially this time of year, we can often go, okay, Paul, you know, he talks about all this suffering, and f- considered all joy, and all these other things, and he says, we, "We can go, you know what, easy for you to say, easy for you to say, Paul, easy for you to say, James, if you, if, if you say that about these men of faith that write these commands to us, so one was be joyful, the other was be gentle, if you, if you read, if you go, okay, that was easy for Paul, we, we, you don't know Paul's life. You're not going to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul outlines how brutally he was brutalized. He lists all of these things that went on in his life, and no matter what you've been through, and there are people here who are hurting and have been through some tro- horrific things, none of it, I, and I'm not saying this just to, to belittle you, I'm just telling you this was Paul's life, none of it compares to what Paul went through. None of us want that ministry, not a one of us, Right? And yet, he's the same guy that said, I, we, not only this, but we rejoice in our tribulation. Why? Because that was, that was 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11. In 2 Corinthians 12, there's the scene where it says, and there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, Paul says, that I begged God, I supplicated God, he says, three times, please take this from me. What did Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. You remember what Paul's response was? Therefore, I am going to boast in my weakness. Because when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, I, that we would be a people that wouldn't feel like we need to put on pretense and act like we got our act together and everything's fine. When people ask us today during the fellowship meal when we're all stuffing our face with tryptophan and we all fall asleep later and we're all hanging out, when somebody says, how you doing? And we can honestly say, you know what, I'm really struggling right now. I am not feeling the peace of the season that we're supposed to be in. I, my wife and I are at odds. Guys, that we would be able to say that because this is a place of grace. Right? I mean, If we can't say it here, if, if I can't say it to you, who can I say it to? We have had people leave this church because they have said, I do not want a pastor who's going to stand up there and tell me about all of his struggles and his sin. And I'm like, well, then you're in the wrong church. Because I, I, I am a sinner saved by grace, and I got my struggles. And if I can't come to my family and i and, and i and i say that it sounds like there's a question hanging out there like i can't praise god i can cuz you're sitting here you haven't left and i'm a mess cuz you're not sitting here for me anyway but that's good the point is paul knew man life is hard but i'm still supposed to be joyful i'm still supposed to be gentle and there's a third one be faithful be faithful he says in verse seven, no, I'm sorry, in verse six, be anxious for nothing, right? And be anxious for nothing. That's, that is a picture of being, now how does, how does being anxious for nothing and being faithful connect? Because the abs- or the opposite of faith is fear, worry, we talked about this before. The idea, the, the word, we often think of faith as obedience, and in a lot of ways, faith and obedience are synonymous in the Bible, but faith and belief are really far more connected in, in the Scriptures. He's saying, be anxious for nothing because I believe in the promises of God. Now look at what he says. He even so so okay. So how do I do that? How, because I'll be honest. I have I have nights. I used to more now or more more years ago. But but still now well, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, full blown anxiety attack, heart rate going 140 beats a minute when I'm laying in bed. How is that possible? Because half of my brain is thinking about all the things that are going on, and well, I got a mortgage payment, we got this, and we got that going on, and, and I'm and I'm going, okay, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your prayer request be in the known to God. And the other half of my brain is going, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but it's the battle we all face, right? But he tells us what to do. He says, in that moment, Doug, in that moment, Church. In everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, don't just pray in prayer and supplication. Supplication is just prayer, but it's begging prayer. Supplication is just a fancy word for pleading to God. So, do I pray? Lord, you know, my, my, these are my prayers. And then, and then do I just get on my face before the Lord and beg him? But then here's the key. Get this. Prayer and begging with thanksgiving. See, that's huge. That, that last piece is huge. I can pray and I can beg, but do I stop and give God thanks no matter what? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is your, God's will for you. Do I give thanks there? See, why does that matter? Why is that so huge? Here's why. Because when I take that step of not just praying and begging, but thanking him, it is reminding me of his heart for me. It is reminding me of who I am to him. It is reminding me that he is in control of everything, even the junky stuff. It is part of that vertical relationship. Okay, God, remind me of who you are. Remind me of your faithfulness. Lord, I, I thank you for the trials that we've been in as a family. I thank you for the struggles we're in as a church. I thank you for that. I beg you that you would fix all of it. But it reminds me of who he is, of who i am to him and of what he's done for me and what he's done for you it is the picture of what isaiah said in isaiah 40 verse 10 do not fear for i am with you do not anxiously look about you for i am your god i will strengthen you surely i will help you surely i will uphold you with my righteous right hand guys if you don't have that verse underlined in your bible somewhere right, just write down the verse reference right now and get it memorized so he showed us three things. To, in order to have the peace of God, here are three things we have to have. Right? We have to have, we have to have, um, we have to be humble, we have to be our joyful, humble, our ge- joyful, gentle, and faithful. Let's look at the last piece. The promise is peace. So if we do those three things, if according to him, if, if we're practicing peace with each other in unity, if we're, if we're putting first things first, I am being joyful. I am being gentle of spirit. I am being faithful. Here's what he says. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, that word, all comprehension, it it, it should be like, that just means your mind. It will guard your heart and your mind. It is, here's what he's saying. It will blow your mind away. Ultimately, what in the original language, it's referring so str- we We can read that it go, surpasses all comprehension. It is like, it's like the picture of your brain going poof. Like when, when, when you really experience, in that moment of your greatest trial. Guys, when I got the call that Brent went to be with the Lord, Carrie and I left the funeral service to go to Connie's house. And she and Phyllis are sitting with us today, praise God. And, and she's sitting on the floor, sobbing. And I just got down on the floor with her and sobbed next to her. And I heard her say, like, he's with Jesus. Like, I mean, it was just everything was focused on how is God going to. I know, it wasn't even how is God. It was, I know God is going to make good of this. I I didn't know what to tell her because I wasn't even close to there. I was just angry. And Connie will tell you she's had moments like that since then. She hasn't stayed there every minute of the day in her grief. But guys, in that moment, when I'm on the floor with her, and, she's, and she is praising God for what he has done, even though she doesn't understand it and doesn't like it, that is the peace of God that surpasses. That is the peace of God that will blow your mind. And it blew mine. So just like he gave us three things that we have to do first in order to experience his peace, he gives us two more commands, So we're going to finish up with this, wrap this whole thing up with this. He gives us two commands to do to keep peace. So he's saying, have these things in your mind. You need to, you need to be joyful. You need to be gentle. You need to be faithful. And then you will experience the peace of God. And to keep that peace, do two things. He's going to tell us in verses 8 and 9, he's going to say, think about wonderful things and do wonderful things. So let's pick it up and see what he says. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellency in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Guys, get, get what he's saying. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, good reputation, excellence, worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. That word, the phrase dwell means to think about, to ponder, to meditate on. Guys, what we fixate on mentally, we will migrate towards. What we fixate on, we will migrate towards. Bad stuff in, bad stuff out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. That's the truth. If we are engaged in watching inappropriate stuff, it is going to make our behavior inappropriate. It can't not. If we are engaged in conversations that are neither edifying nor encouraging, we, we can guys, we cannot, even in our own conversation in our head, which is what we spend, what we spend more time talking to ourselves than we talk to anybody else, Right? We cannot walk around all day thinking negative thoughts about other people, about situations, about whatever, about God, and then turn around, flip a switch, and be all of a sudden be full of joy and be gentle and be faithful. It does not work that way. You can't. Your countenance will become what you fixate on. So he's saying, guys, fixate on true, honorable, right, pure, lovely Good reputation, excellence, worthy of praise. Isaiah, again, in Isaiah 26, it's one of your daily readings. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are, are fixed on you guys it's why we have all this stuff going on it's why we have the daily Advent on the back of your connecting points and it's got this really small print that you need a magnifying glass to read to get it all in there but it's got daily readings and it's got activities and discussion questions we've got the little booklet that has all the, inf- the different things you can do as a family because it's all, all any of this stuff is is our admittedly lame attempt to try to help you find things that are lovely excellent, worthy of praise so that you will fixate on those so that you will migrate towards that as we get, as together we move towards his celebration of his first advent. It's not just about being busy. It's about doing stuff that is going to change our outlook. And look what he says in verse nine. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love how he says, practice these things. Guys, here's what he's doing. He's looking, he's looking at his church that he loved. Remember, my, my, my pride and joy. The, I long to see you. He's saying, do you remember that stuff that you heard from my mouth? Remember what you saw me doing? Just do it. Think about good stuff and do good things. And watch and see what God does. That's ultimately where he's trying to get them. Guys, he is not saying here, there's nothing in this passage about let go, let God. He is not saying that no matter what is going on in your life, you can just consider it all joy because you know what, I just need to to give it to the Lord, not worry about it. There's a prayer, supplication, thanking God. There's a piece of that that we have to give to God. But he doesn't leave it there. This is a call to action. Think about things that are lovely. Do things that are excellent. And then the peace of God is going to be yours. So today's question was, what is the peace of God and how do we get there? Well, the answer is the peace of God, guys, the peace of God only comes, peace, the peace of God only comes from peace with God. The peace of God only comes first and foremost Through the peace with God. And peace with God only comes one way according to the Bible that we claim to believe. That is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where we started. Guys, it has to start there. And we have to remind ourselves of that peace, that reconciliation over and over and over again. But it doesn't end there. Our citizenship in heaven should affect our outlook here and now. And so I'm going to close in that. We're gonna. We're, today's a prayer Sunday, and I'm going to close in just asking you to um, take some time. So if the lights would come down, and I'm going to just um, read a passage out of what perfect peace is going to look like, and and ultimately, guys, here here's the thing: we have sold Christianity, the peace of the peace of our faith. We have sold it as come to Jesus, and the and the waters of your life will be calm. You'll be on that boat, and it's going to be a crystal clear lake. That's nowhere in Scripture. So, what we, so if you're a little mature in Christ, we've sold it this way. You will experience the peace of God because you'll be in your boat, and there'll be a storm. But Jesus is in the boat with you. And he has the ability to calm the storm. And he does. Doesn't mean he's going to, but he does. He does have that ability. But guys, that's not just where the peace... That, that, there's truth to, we need to cling to the rock that is Jesus Christ. But that's not the only place, that's not really what the Bible is talking about the peace of God. The peace of God is not the picture of a boat on a crystal clear lake. It's not the picture of a boat on a lake with a storm, but Jesus is in the boat with us. The peace of God comes from knowing where your boat's going to finally dock. Regardless of the storm, regardless of whether it's tranquil, regardless of your circumstances, we experience peace in the midst of all of that when we know. That our heavenly homeland is waiting for us. And here's what it's going to look like. It says, then I saw a heaven. I'm reading out of Revelation 21. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And God had made ready a bride adorned for her husband. That's us. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and I will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Now get this, guys. This is what the perfect peace that will come at his restoration, his second advent, this is what it'll be. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Write these words, for they are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in this moment that we can just take a minute and be still before you. Lord, I pray for those right now that hear my voice and don't have peace with you. So how can they possibly have peace from you? How can they possibly experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? So Lord, I pray right now for those people that do not know if they are truly reconciled to do business with you right now and for you to do business with them. And Father, I do pray for all of us that the things in our hearts and our minds and our lives that rob us of peace, keep us from being joyful, gentle, faithful, I pray that you would bring those to mind right now. Father, I pray for this time of year that we're in that we would make room for the Messiah. Or that even today, we would clear the clutter of our minds, of our hearts, of our schedule. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would turn my heart and and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here just to be hot-hearted for you this season. Lord, that we would soak you in, that the frustrations and the fatigue and the weariness would go away, that we would experience your peace from you, through you, to you, towards each other, Father, I thank you most of all for the fact that you did not leave it up to us. Lord, that you did for us what we could not do. That you came here and lived among us. That is what we celebrate this season. Lord, that should be motivation enough. God came near. And now, through your cross, through that reconciliation, you are in us. May that bring us joy. May that make us gentle. May that keep us faithful. May your spirit bring to mind things that are lovely and true and honorable. And may we walk worthy of the gospel for which you came to claim. In Jesus' name, amen.